Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. This year, as, as I expect all of you will know, we've been spending time looking at the cross of Jesus. We felt it was right to do that, and um, I hope you found it of great benefit. Um, when we approach this, for me personally, I wanted to make sure that this isn't a topic for us to study. The cross is not a topic. The cross is the heart of who we are. We're defined by the cross of Jesus Christ. And um, I really love that picture that Richard gave us. I don't know who was here for that, but a couple of weeks ago, Richard stood up there with a pair of sunglasses on with a cross that sellotaped to the front of the sunglasses. If you weren't here and you missed it, you missed an absolute treat. Because the simple picture was that we needed to look at everything through the cross. So whatever we look at in our lives, we look at it through the lens of the cross. And Richard both looked ridiculous and at the same time was teaching us a great lesson. Thank you, Richard. Um, I really appreciate the comedy sometimes that you bring things to us, and it enables us to receive things um, in a wonderful way. And that's really stayed with me, that the Lord wants us to look at all things through the cross. But also, recently, God has been clear in speaking to us about moving out of maintenance mode and into mission mode. So David spoke at the beginning of this month about that, that it was a clear word of the Lord to us that we need to move out of maintenance mode and into mission mode. And I've been thinking about that ever since um, David brought that message, thinking, what does that actually mean? Because whenever we bring things from the Word, we want them to be practical for everybody. We want them to envision everyone, but we want them to be practical, something that you can lay hold of and say, this is what it means for my life. And one of the things that David said that morning has stuck with me particularly, and he said this. He said, we need to reevaluate everything in light of the mission. We need to reevaluate everything in light of the mission. Now, when you hear a statement like that, you have to say, okay, what does that mean? What do I need to look at differently from how I'd been looking at it before? And for me personally, I was thinking about it, thinking, well, I know that the Lord has wanted us to focus on the cross, and therefore maybe I need to think about the cross in light of the mission. Maybe I need to reevaluate the way I'm approaching the cross. Not that I'm approaching it in an incorrect way, but that God wants to make my revelation of it fuller, as he always does, by looking at the cross through the lens of the mission. But the cross is central to what we believe. It's central to our lives. So I started to think about these two things together. And actually, last week, David spoke about the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And one of the things he said was that these two disciples, when they met Jesus, they didn't know it was him, and they started saying about everything that had been going on. And it was very clear that these two disciples had no hope. And they were kind of stuck at the cross. They knew everything that happened to that point, but they didn't know Jesus had been raised from the dead. They only had half the story. And they understood that the cross had happened. They understood he died, but they didn't see what happened next. And they had no hope. 
So I've been thinking about the cross and the mission and these two things in tandem. We need to see the cross through the lens of the mission. But we also need to see the mission through the cross, like Richard, Richard's shades. We need to have the cross lenses on when we look at the mission that God has called us to. So when God says, come out of maintenance mode and go into mission mode, we need to do that by everything that God has told us about the cross and the things that we have, um, things that have been revealed to us, things that God has shown us. And it's important that we get the balance between the two. If we focus exclusively on the cross, then we become like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. We get stuck at the cross. And actually, it leads us to a place of introspection because all we're focused on is Jesus dying and how the old life has to die. Where do we go from there? Where's the hope? If we focus exclusively on the mission, then we can miss the whole purpose of the mission because the purpose of the mission, folks, is to bring people to the cross. And sometimes we can get taken up in the process of mission with the buzz and the excitement of mission, and we can neglect the reality and the necessity for the cross in our lives. So that's why I want to talk about these two things this morning. The mission of the cross, how the cross and the mission relate to each other. And here's what I want you to see, is that if you're on one of those things, if you're stuck at the cross, or if you're just mission-minded, and you're not interested in what the cross really means, the nitty-gritty for your life, then it's like being in a boat with one oar. If you just got one of those oars, what's going to happen when you start rowing your boat? That's right. You're going to go round and round in circles. And whichever way you lean, you can end up going round and round in circles. Now, I don't believe that's what God wants for us. I believe God wants us to be going in the right direction. Amen? So what I'd like to do this morning is um, I would like to look at um, some verses in Philippians. If you could turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to put these verses up on the screen as well in the superior ESV version for those of you that like to read from ESV. So you can read it from the screen or you can read it from your Bible, but I'm going to read these verses out for us now. Now, whenever we come to look at the Scriptures together, it's always important to be mindful of the context of the verses that we're reading, to know what was going on. And Paul is writing to the Philippians... And this letter that he writes, he writes it from prison, probably in Rome, probably about AD 60. And he starts at the beginning of his letter talking about the circumstances with which he is in. He's been imprisoned and he's talking about the gospel actually just being furthered by his imprisonment. Rather than suppress the gospel, it it actually caused the gospel to spread even further. He's talking about the irrepressibility of the gospel. And then as we come into chapter 2, he starts to talk about what that means for them. And he actually reminds them that their greatest weapon is their unity. That the greatest weapon that they can have is that they love each other and that they lay their lives down for each other. As simple as that. Paul had a really simple gospel, and we should have a simple gospel too. And in these verses, he then points them to Jesus and said, look, this is how we are to live. It's all in here. This is what Jesus did. And he summarizes in these six verses the ministry of Christ. Now, that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? To summarize the ministry of Jesus 
in six verses. And yet I think he captures the essence of Jesus' mission and how Jesus embraced the cross. So let's read these verses together. I'm going to start at verse 5. He says, Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, Wonderful words, aren't they? Because that's the reality of what's going on in the world. And that's what happened. In the first three verses, what we're seeing is Jesus' descent from his place, his position, into humanity, and beyond that, into death on our behalf, and embracing the cross. In the next three verses, we see Paul describing how because of that, God then raises him up and gives him the name above every other name in order that ultimately God may be glorified. So there's a symmetry in these verses because actually everything that Jesus gave up, God gave back to him in spades. And Jesus is our example in that. In the first bit, I see Jesus embracing the cross, but it didn't stop there. Jesus then came out of the grave and embraced his mission because the purpose of him dying in the first place was that he could be raised from the dead and be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's us in here. We wouldn't be here if Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead. If he was still in the ground, it would be just a tragedy. But he's not still in the ground. He's now seated in the highest place. And so therefore we're raised with him. What I'd like to do is look at these verses because I think in here are some just key points about enabling us to embrace the cross, but enabling us also to embrace the mission and to have those two things in balance and in tandem together. So if we look at verse 6, it says this, who, through, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus let go of who he was. He let go of his position. When it says in, he was in the form of God, it means his unalterable essence. So he couldn't stop being God. So what did he give up? He gave up his position in heaven. He gave up the privilege of who he was and stepped down into humanity, became a man. We don't really understand that, do we? But we understand it by faith that he became a man. And the first thing is is that we need to let go of who we were. We need to let go of who we were. If Jesus had clutched onto his position, Paul says... He didn't. He didn't clutch onto it, but he let go of it freely. What would have happened if Jesus had clutched onto his position? The father says, son, it's the right time in history now. I'm going to send you down into humanity. And the son said, 
yeah, that's great, Father, but um, what I'd like to do is I'd like to just take all of the things I can do now with me, if that's okay. If you've ever read the Greek uh, stories, the Greek mythology stories, that's what the gods did. They took human form, but they had all their powers, and they could do anything they wanted to do. Jesus didn't do that. He gave up that, and he took the form that we have and became as vulnerable as we are because he came in the power of the Holy Spirit. If he had clutched on to all that he had, he wouldn't have completed his mission. He couldn't redeem us if he didn't embrace us. And embracing us meant embracing our humanity. He embraced our humanity. That's amazing, isn't it? Jesus took humanity into himself. Someone once said that the Son of God became a man so that men could become sons of God. And that's true of us. If he didn't become a man, we couldn't become children of God, as Richard reminded us this morning. We have to, in our Christian walk, be sure that we've let go of everything we were. Now, you might say, well, of course we've let go of who we were. That's why we're here. But, you know, if we look back at the history of God's people, they have a bit of a history of looking backwards. If you've ever read the history of the Israelites, they were quite often looking backwards in the desert, looking back at Egypt, when times got tough, saying, oh, you know what, Egypt wasn't that bad after all, was it? And we have a tendency to do that sometimes, is to look backwards. There's another sense in which we have to let go of any sense that we were worthy of redemption. It's a really hard thing to come to at the cross, is to face the fact that there was nothing about you that was worthy of redemption. There was nothing about me that was worthy of redemption. If there was an ounce of anything that made me redeemable, then it wouldn't be God's grace. But I was saved 100% by grace, and so were you. You were completely unredeemable. But God redeemed us in order that he could be glorified. And the reason why he did that was because he wants us to live completely in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to let go of all human effort. We have to let go of anything in us that we think God needs for his mission. That's hard, isn't it? Because you think, well, I bring certain skills to the table. Maybe God needed me. No. God has brought you into his kingdom to be a display for his glory. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, look, he's taken the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. There's not much of a veiled insult in that, is it? It's just an insult, isn't it, really? I was a fool in this world. Do you know what? I'm happy to be a fool for Christ. Because when you come into him, all you want is to glorify him. And that's all Jesus wanted. The son wants nothing more than to glorify the father. He wanted nothing for himself at all. And he wants us to be the same. We need to let go of who we were. So we can't claim credit for anything he's done in our lives. Because if you can claim just a little bit of credit, where's the grace? But when we stand before people, we say, I am who I am purely by the grace of God, and I'm for the display of his glory. It's not anything I did. There was nothing I brought. It was everything that God brought. That's how we glorify him, by letting go of who we were. In verse 7, it says this, He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus made himself nothing. 
He was born in the form of a servant. When Jesus came, he had no agenda of his own. He sought no fame, sought no reputation. He purely came with his father's agenda. And that's what being a servant meant for Jesus. His whole life was devoted to his father's agenda. When we come into the kingdom, when we embrace the cross, your agenda goes out the window. Your life and all your interests, they go out the window. Does that mean they're not important? No. But it means they take second place to God's agenda in your life. And that can be a hard thing for us to accept. The temptation can be to actually look out for ourselves. But you know what? When you think about your life, I don't know if you've ever done this, but have you ever thought about what people will say about you when you're gone? Ever done that? I reckon most of us at some point have done that. What would people say at my funeral? It's a morbid thought, isn't it? But it can make us think in the here and now, what do I want to be remembered for? What's most important to me about my life? There's only one title I want, and that's servant of the Lord. The honor. The honor of being called the servant of the Lord. And when Paul wrote to the churches, his first title was a servant of the Lord. It was God's agenda first, me second. And that has to be the way that we come to the cross. It's the only way that God can use us, is that his agenda is the driving force in our lives. Just want to read this to you that Paul wrote to the Galatians. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, when you read this, it's interesting because Paul seems to be saying, look, I've got no life. But actually, he's talking about two lives. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Now, who's he talking about there? Is he talking about Paul or is he talking about Saul? Because I think he's talking about his old life. It's no longer that me that lives. It's the new me. And the difference in the old me and the new me is that I was at the center of my own universe. My interests counted more than anything else. But the new me, Jesus is right at the center. And he matters more than anything else. When Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to hate your own life, it's, it's the limit of English trying to express the meaning of what Jesus was saying from the original language. He's not saying you've got to hate yourself. He's saying, I've got to come before everything else in your life. Because your instinct will be to put you first. But I'm telling you, if you want to cling on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you let go of it, and your interests and your agenda, you'll save your life. He put it another way. Jesus said, seek first my kingdom. And everything else in life, I'll give you that. I'll sort all of that out for you. Just put me first. Because when he said my kingdom, he's on about the king. Put the king first. Everything else in your life will be sorted. And I think all of us could probably say from experience, there are times when we haven't done that. And guess what? Things never work out, do they? 
kind of think you're sorting things out, but if God comes off the top spot, then there's always trouble that follows. A few verses previous in this um, chapter, Paul is talking to the Philippians, and he says this. This is in verse 3. So if you've still got your Bibles open, he said, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. That's a tall order, isn't it? Do we realize what Paul has said to us there? Because this is the word of God to us. He's saying this. Let me pick on someone. I'll pick on Mike because he doesn't mind being picked on. So Mike, the word of the Lord to you is everyone else in this room who is part of the body of Christ, you need to treat them as if they are more significant, more important than you are. Are you comfortable with that? No, but I'll do it. <laughs> no, but I'll do it. <laughs> Let me ask you a question, Mike. Is everyone else in this room more important than you? Are they more important? Yeah. In what way? No, they're not. They're not, they're they're not, not are they? No. There we go. They're not more important than me, but I need to treat them as though they are. In other words, I need to put everyone before me. Yeah. In other words, I need to be the servant of ev- the rest of the body. Richard, the word of the Lord to you is that you need to treat everyone else in this room as though they're more important than you are. Are you comfortable with that? Yes. Yes. Now, if I ask the question of every single one of us, and that's how we determine in our hearts to live, what difference do you think it would make to this body? I'm not saying that we don't do that. But I'm saying we could do it more, couldn't we? If we said, my title is a servant of the Lord... And my master has told me to serve everyone else in this body and treat them as though they're more important than I am. You see, that's the love of Christ. And we can only do it, and my brothers have only been able to respond because of the love of Christ in them. It's not because they're altruistic or just really nice people, although Richard is really nice, by the way. Mike isn't, but no, I'm just kidding. Mike is lovely. But that's not what drives these two individuals. What drives them is the love of Christ and because their Lord has told them that that is the way for us to live. So the second thing is we need to embrace who we're called to be and we're called to be servants of the Lord. That's how we're to live. Brothers and sisters, this is radical stuff. This is unlike anything else going on in this world and it will speak volumes about who we are. Jesus said this, it was a new command in John 13, 35. A new command I give you. This was new to the world. Love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you, love one another. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We need to embrace the cross. But we need to see the mission through this aspect of the cross. Folks, this is how we do mission by serving one another, by being servants of the Lord, so that they will know you are my disciples. That's mission right there. People will look and say, there's something different about those people. And we can tell them what it is. I like telling people that. I'm not actually a nice person. But the love of Christ is in me. So you might find me as a nice person. The love of Christ has done all sorts of things to me to make me something that I wasn't before. And it's all to the glory of God. A bit earlier, Steph said, 
forgive me if I'm paraphrasing a little stuff, but said, we're not playing at church. This is really important. If we don't embrace this, we're playing at church and we're playing at mission. And I can tell you this, that the mission won't be accomplished if we're playing at it. It demands everything of us. But the wonderful thing is that if we give everything, if we let go of who we were, if we embrace who we're called to be, it's liberating. It's actually liberating. Because looking out for yourself is actually pretty tiring and stressful. When you just let go of that, there's a liberation that comes. And that's the liberation he wants us all to live in. And the third thing is this, in verse 8 it says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now Jesus had spoken to his disciples previously about this in John's Gospel, chapter 12 and verse 24. I'm going to read this from the NLT, which is the superior version at this point. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies... It remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. So Jesus was saying, look, guys, I've got to die because I'm like a seed. I've got to go into the ground, and unless a seed dies and is planted in the ground, it can't produce a harvest. And Jesus said, you've got to come with me. You've got to come with me down into death. Everything that's old has got to die. And if that happens, the inevitable result is that there will be a harvest that comes from your life. When he wrote to the Romans, Paul talked about being living sacrifices. Folks, the inevitable truth is this. If we live as living sacrifices, there will be a harvest around us. If you're living as a living sacrifice, there will be a harvest around you. Because the Word says so. That's the promise of the Word. Part of it is because the love of Christ in us will draw people to us. The self-sacrificial agape love will draw people to us. People are drawn to that kind of love because it's of a different quality that doesn't exist in the fallen world that we live. It's different in its quality. You may say, well, hang on, there's loads of people in the world that are loving and that put others first. That's true. But there's something different about the love of Christ. And it's at the point of experience that people realize that there's something different about it. It's of a different quality to the love produced by this world. Living sacrifices are God's most powerful weapon in the mission. Just want to turn you to Revelation 12, verses 10 to 11. This is a real key verse for us in fulfilling the mission. And it demonstrates to us how fulfilling the mission means embracing the cross. So Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 to 11. Some of you might be having to separate pages out because they're not very often read, this part of the scripture, maybe. I don't know. Um, Wait for the rustling to settle. It's dead easy, Revelation, because it's at the back. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God 
and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they, lo- they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives unto the death. That's a living sacrifice, that you love not your life unto the death. That doesn't always mean a physical death, although it has and does sometimes in this world for God's people. But it does mean a daily death to our own interests. If we are living submitted lives, the simple fact is this, it will give you authority to deal with the enemy. If your life is submitted to Christ, you will have authority and you will go into situations where you can move in authority of Jesus Christ. There is a direct correlation to our submission to his lordship to the authority with which we can move in any given situation. So to go out and do mission, we need to be those who go out and are submitted to Jesus ourselves. Jesus moved like that not because of his rank or position, but because he was submitted to the Father. And he said, if you want to do the things I I did, then you need to be submitted in the way I was submitted. And then demons will flee at your word. It's really important for us. There's no cross. If there's no cross, sorry, then there's no crown. We've said that a few times this year, haven't we? If there's no cross, then there's no crown. With the crown comes authority. If there's no submission to the cross, folks, there's no authority that comes through that submission. So I want to move on to the the second three verses, verses 9 through 11. And I think in here, this helps us to see the cross through the lens of the mission. What was the purpose of it all? and not get stuck at the cross like those two disciples on the road to Emmaus who just couldn't see beyond the cross and had no hope. And in verse 9 it says this, Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. Christ's mission didn't end with the cross. He was resurrected by the Holy Spirit. That's wonderful news for us, folks. And the really, perhaps even better news, is that we were raised with him. We were raised with him. And the first thing is this. In order to get beyond the cross, if I can put it that way, is that we need to assume our place at his side. We need to assume our place at his side. You've been raised with Christ. Let me read to you from Ephesians 2. You'll know this this, um, passage very well. In verse 4 it says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up with him, and seated us with him, In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You've been raised up with him and you've been seated with him. He has been enthroned, but you have been seated at his right side. You've been seated in a place of honor. So, 
Here's the purpose. That in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Folks, we have to be those that live as those seated in heavenly places. It's easy to read it from the scriptures. It's a lot harder to walk it out, isn't it? Because it's all about perspective. The enemy wants you to think that you're stuck in the long grass. That you cannot see beyond your immediate situation. But the word of God says to you, that's not where you are. Come up higher. Come into my presence. Let me show you where I have placed you. Because where I am seated, I can see all things. That's the wonderful thing about being seated up there, is that the Lord will show us not just what's immediate in front of us, but show us the bigger picture. And that makes all the difference, doesn't it? To how we approach any situation is if we see the bigger picture or not, or whether we are stuck, focused purely on our circumstances. Sometimes I think people have no problem accepting um, that, that, we, that we weren't good enough, but trouble accepting a new exalted position. It's not all of us, but some of us struggle with worthiness and feel often when we come into the presence of God that, that we're just not worthy. As if somehow we think that God didn't know all the problems that we had. Or if somehow God, when he picked you, thought, well, I didn't realize there were going to be so much trouble. I thought you would be fairly easy, but you've just been trouble from the get-go. Do you know the wonderful thing, folks, is that God is looking right now at the moment when you were born. And he's looking at the moment when you first went to school. And he can see the moment when you left home and all the points in your life that you know of. He can see all those because he's outside of time. But he can also see what lies ahead for you. But because of that, when God chose you, he knew all of that in advance. And he said, I love you, and despite any of those failings, I still love you. And I'm going to exalt you and seat you next to me. And I'm going to put on you robes of righteousness that you did not deserve because I love you. And folks, if only every day we walked in the full revelation that we have awoken in robes of righteousness, that we are seated in a place of honor next to the King of Kings, then I I believe we would hold our head a little higher every day. Not in superiority, but shining full of grace. I'm in an exalted position that I did not deserve and I never would deserve, but he's chosen to bring me to this place. How wonderful is that? What a great testimony. And it's necessary for us to move into mission. In verse 10, it goes on to say this, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Now, when it talks about the name of Jesus, it would be easy to read that and say, at Jesus' name. But that's not what Paul is saying. He's talking about something of the name of Jesus. It means the rank that Jesus has been afforded. 
that Jesus has been given a name above every other name. He wasn't given the name of Jesus when he was raised from the dead. He was given the name above every other name. In other words, he was given a rank, a title, which is above everything else in all creation. So Jesus gave up who he was, came down, embraced humanity, and God said, because you've been faithful, I'm going to lift you above all of that now. You, you humbled yourself to the lowest place and became sin for them. And now I'm going to raise you to the highest place and give you a rank and a title that is above every other authority in all of creation. And that's what God does when we humble ourselves. He raises us up. He exalts us. The name of Jesus. When we talk about the name of Jesus... We're talking about his rank and his title. He has many names, but he carries an authority over everything in all creation. So Jesus said, ask anything of me in my name. When you ask the Father for anything, in John 14, 14, he says, ask in my name. In other words, in my authority. Invoke my authority when you ask for things. So if we're raised with him, guess what? We now share his name. It's like marrying into the family. You've now taken on the family name. You've now become part of the family. We may be adopted, but we're part of the family and we have all of the privileges that come with being part of God's family, including the name of Jesus. Isaiah 12 verse 4 says that we are called to proclaim the power of his name amongst the nations. That's mission to declare the power of his name amongst the nations. Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 17, do everything, whether in word or deed, in the name of the Lord. So everything you do in your life, do it in the name of the Lord. Even down to brushing your teeth. (laughs) In the name of the Lord. When David prophesies in Psalm 110, he sees a picture of the father speaking to the son, and it says this, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the father, and the father says to him, right, son, I want you to stay there until I've made all your enemies your footstool, because I've given you the rank, the title, the authority above everything in all creation, and I'm going to bring all of creation under that authority. I want you to stay there. Son, you've done enough. I will bring all of that. Now, my question is, who's he going to use to do that? It's not rhetorical. (laughs) Who's he going to do that through? Us. That's awe-inspiring, isn't it? That all things in all creation are going to be brought under the feet of Jesus by you and me. Well, not just you and me. (laughs) Lots of others. But we're part of that, folks. He wants to move through you. And he wants to bring all things under the feet of Jesus through you. Now I believe, what does that mean for us practically? I mean, I believe that any given situation that you will find yourself in, what you need from the Holy Spirit is a discernment about the spiritual reality that is going on in that situation. So often we found ourselves ineffective in situations because we haven't seen the spiritual reality of what is going on. 
Every physical reality has a spiritual reality around it that cannot be seen with the human naked eye. But through the eyes of the Spirit, we can look into the heavenlies and see what is going on. And to be effective in the mission, we need to be those that see what is going on and then invoke the power of the name of Jesus to speak specifically and directly into the issue at hand. That may be that you're talking to a friend or a neighbor or a colleague and they're saying something that's going on in their life. And you could say, well, that, oh, that's, I, I'm really feeling for you in all of that. Is there anything I can do to support you? And that's great. But God wants us to go beyond that. He wants us to listen to the Spirit, and the Spirit wants to say, there's something at work in that situation, and I want you to speak into it. Now, folks, that's a whole other level, isn't it? It's a whole other level that I aspire to, and... I believe all of us aspire to. But that is what we're called to do because we've been raised with Christ and because we're the ones who will bring all things under his feet. And the third thing is this. In verse 11, it says, Every tongue, every tongue, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now we get to the purpose of it all. It's for the glory of God the Father. When Paul writes to the Corinthians in chapter 15, uh, first letter, chapter 15, he says, look, this is what's going to happen. All things will be brought under the feet of Jesus. Everything will be subject to him except the Father. Because then, when all the kingdom has been brought in, the Son himself will be subject to the Father. In order that, he says, God may be all in all. In other words, it's right. The Son's eternal purpose and longing and desire is to glorify the Father. So he says, Father, all of this is under my rule. And Father, now I give it all to you. It's all for the glory of God. And I believe the third thing that we see in the cross when we think of mission is that we are to restore all things to their God given purpose when we see this as the end purpose of mission it's not about putting on an event it's not about getting bums on seats it's not about outreach that's it's so much bigger than that it's a cosmic purpose and how you say okay well cosmic is big you know how does that help me with my neighbor well here's the thing god's cosmic purpose is the restoration of all things And that means that everyone has a purpose in that. That everyone has a God-given role in that. That all things, your neighbor included, were created for the glory of God. So then we say, how do we then approach our neighbor? Ask them what part they play in God's plan of restoration for all things. (laughs) What part does my neighbor play in that? Well, you know what? When you ask the Lord that, he'll show you. And you'll start to see purpose in the people around you. They won't just be people that need the gospel. They'll be people that have a part and a plan to play in God's great plan of salvation and restoration of all things. And I believe God can show us that, even in people who don't yet even know him, that the Holy Spirit will give you something, that you'll be able to speak into the life of someone that will be integral to them coming to him, embracing the cross, and coming beyond to be part of the mission. And folks, when we approach the cross, we need to have that in mind, that it's about 
restoring all things to their God-given purpose of glorifying God. The mission helps us to approach the cross because it lifts our gaze away from us. It's not just about me and Jesus. It goes way beyond that. And it helps us preach the cross because when we preach the cross, and Paul said, all I do is preach the cross, by the way, it's not just about inviting people to die at the cross. It's about people being liberated from their old life and being restored to a much better life and being fulfilled in the purposes of God. It's not a message of death, folks. It's a message of life, and it's a message of hope. And I believe that with Christ's authority, we can speak into people's lives and speak words of great power that will set them on a path that will enable them to fulfill their destiny in Christ Jesus. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? And yet that is what God has called us to do, to listen and to speak words that carry authority and carry power and that will go down as seeds into the lives of other people. It's just so exciting, isn't it? So I think these two things are really important. Seeing the mission through the lens of the cross, like Richard's shades, but also seeing the cross through the purpose of the mission. The cross is the heart of the mission. But the mission is the purpose of the cross, is to go beyond and see all things restored to God. My prayer is that we'll be embracing the heart of the mission, but also that we've seen the purpose beyond the cross. And Father, I just pray right now that Lord, I want to thank you that you've called us to a glorious purpose, first of all. I want to thank you, Father, that you've called us to no less than the restoration of all things. And Lord, it's so amazing. And we are so privileged to have been given a place and part in your plan. Father, I pray that you would help us to let go of any aspect of our old nature, our old way of thinking, or even our old reputation, Lord, so that we can glorify you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to embrace being servants first and foremost in your house, Lord. I pray that you would give us the hearts of servants, Lord, not looking out for ourselves, but loving others in this body and beyond, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would sow each one of us into the harvest fields, that, Lord, you would... Let us be overflowing with an agape love that draws people to you and shows you, shows them, Lord, the quality of your love, what it really means. And Father, I pray that you would help us to live lives of victory. Help us, Lord, to see the position that we have seated by your side. Help us to reject the lies of the enemy or the doubts within, Lord. But open our eyes. Lord, to heavenly realities, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the confidence and the boldness to invoke your name in every situation. And Lord, reveal to us the true magnitude, Lord, and scope of your authority so that we can walk with boldness and with heads held high in every situation, not fearing the enemy, nor fearing failure, but confident that you are with us, Lord. And Father, I pray lastly that you would help us 
to see your purpose in every life around us, Lord. Lord, I pray that when we meet those who are lost, that like you, we will hear the voice of your Spirit and not see the person that stands before us, but see the masterpiece that you are preparing and the destiny that you have for each individual person. And Lord, help us to move and to speak with authority and to bring life into our conversations with those people, Lord, we pray. Lord, we want to embrace the cross fully, but Lord, we don't want to be those stuck at the cross. We want to be those, Lord, that are seeing the mission and seeing your glory restored in all the earth. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Thank you, folks. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.